It's tied. There's a minute and a half left in the game. Broncos have the ball, the one-yard line. And you're expecting this epic battle to take place. The Packers defense, they're, they're getting ready, digging in the trenches, getting ready to stop the Broncos from scoring. They come up to the line, and if you remember watching this game, I know not... I know all you ladies remember this game clearly, but uh, for the rest of you remember this, there was this anticipation for this incredible play and Elway takes the ball and he hands it off to the running back and all the Packers defense, they just stand up and step back. Here it was, we were anticipating this great play, but they let the Bronco running back score. Well, what the announcers suspected And what we discovered as a fact later is Mike Holgram, who was the coach of the Packers, told his defense to not try on that play. He said, it's going to be a better scenario if we let them score because we'll have more time to tie the game. Very shocking, very surprising, not a bad strategy uh, because sometimes you've got to lose to win. That's the name of my sermon today. Now, the problem with this analogy, there's a breakdown in every analogy the Packers ended up losing the game. But theoretically, theoretically, uh, there's times we have to lose the goal line stand to get the win. We've got to lose to win. Now, this is counterintuitive to us all because we always, always think that it's going forward, it's movement, it's activity. Today, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, and we're going to continue a message from two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was gonna uh, preach verse 34 through 38, and I couldn't get past verse 34. It just grabbed me, arrested me, didn't let us move further, and so we looked at verse 34. So this is a continuation of the sermon two weeks ago, and we're calling today's sermon, Lose to Win. Now, starting in verse 34, I'll remind you what we read before. Jesus, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, And now, this is important, remember, because Jesus often left the crowd and was alone, but he called the crowd to him. So what he's going to say is really, really important. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So that we covered that. Now, here's today's text. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his fathers, father, excuse me, with the holy angels. Mark 8, 34 through 38. Jesus, when he taught, and he taught religious people, he gave shocking statements that, that alarmed people and shook them out of their religion and pointed to their sinfulness because he was the savior of the world. Now, we learn later on that he demonstrated incredible grace. He was grace itself on the cross and in the resurrection. And then Paul and Peter and John and other New Testament writers explain his grace. 
explain that it's only Jesus. He's the only way we receive salvation. So what can we learn from a passage like this? I think that more than just the issue of eternity, Jesus here is telling us how to live, how to live this life in response to his grace, how to live the life he's chosen us to live. Now, one of the the things that we all deal with when we don't even realize it is the natural instinct to survive. We are survivors. We are people who will do whatever it takes to survive. Just last month, I was driving down Gallatin Road, Main Street, Hendersonville, and I hear sirens behind me. I look in the rearview mirror, and I do what every good citizen should do. I pulled over, put on my hazards, waiting for the fire truck to pass me. As I did this, I I pulled over and I had my hazards on. I have to admit to you, I get a little prideful, get a little smug. So I started looking around at the other drivers and and they were not doing the protocol. They were not doing what they're supposed to. Uh, And I was thinking, listen, I am a good citizen. I know how to drive. I have pulled over safely and I'm gonna let this fire engine pass. So the fire engine passed, sirens going, and he pulled over into the middle lane, getting ready for a left turn. So in my pride, thinking he was turning left, I hit the gas. But what I did not realize is in this turn lane, he wasn't turning left. He was doing a hard right. And so he turns to the right, and I am headed straight for the fire engine. And he doesn't see me, and I see him, and I have a choice before me. A survival instinct kicked in. And I see over here this beautifully this, this beautiful lawn of a certain business in this city that will remain unnamed today, <laughs> perfectly manicured. And I had the choice, am I gonna run through this yard or am I gonna get plowed over and possibly killed by this fire truck? So it was not hard to decide this. I, I take my car and I go through the yard. And at that point, I had no concern for the health of the grass I had no concern for the shrubs. I had no concern for the sprinkler heads. I just wanted to survive. And I did. And that's why I'm here before you today. Now, the, the fireman cut me off and came and gave me a little lecture and all this kind of deal. But, and luckily, it was dry enough that I went and the landscape I examined and everything was okay. So I know we got a lot of yard guys in here. So don't be mad at me. I, I did due diligence. But you do whatever it takes to survive. We are survivors. So this statement that Jesus makes in verse 35 is counterintuitive. Let's look at the statement again. Mark 8, 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's something you don't expect him to say. Here's the first point that I want you to get from this passage is you have to lose life to save life. You have to lose life to save life. That's not our instincts. That's not the natural response. But for you to have everything God wants you to have, you have to give up sometimes what you want, what you prefer, give up your dreams, give up your preference, give up your choice, give up your right for self-determination. This list is getting worse and worse, isn't it? It seems that way, 
And that's what the enemy wants you to think, that God's restricting you. God's taking away your freedom. God's denying opportunity. But it's the opposite. The paradox of the kingdom is this. When you give up your life, you get a new life. When you lay down your life, you actually save your life. When you lose your life, you're saving the life God wants you to have. So John 10, 10, such an important scripture. It gives us insight. Jesus is saying this. And in John 10, 10, he says, the thief being the devil, being the enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There is a life in Jesus. There is an energy. There is an abundance. There is an excitement. There is a power. There is an influence. There is a life that Jesus has. But you don't find the life Jesus wants for you until you lay down the life you want for yourself. It's the paradox. It's the selfishness. We want our life. And we want our choices. And we want our our self-determination. And we want our abilities. And, And Jesus is saying, no, lay it down. Lose that life and you'll gain new life. This was important because remember, Jesus called the crowd. He called the crowd and said, I want you to hear this statement. Lay down your life and then you'll get a new life. There's a phrase in our family that, that has kind of become part of our vernacular. I think Beth first started this and it, it goes something like this. Let me give you a scenario that's not an exact scenario, but you've been there before. Beth and I will be at a concert or maybe the airport, somewhere where our choices and vending is limited. And we are victims of our atmosphere. And there will be a bottle of water that they want $3 for a bottle of water. And what do you do? I mean, you're stuck. You either pay the three bucks or you don't get the bottle of water. So Beth has come up with this phrase and she'll say something like this. How in the world can those people sleep at night? So that, that's just shorthand language for us. The idea is this. You can make the sale. You can close the deal. You can get the raise. You can accomplish the goal. But how in the world can you sleep with yourself at night when you take advantage of people? Earlier this week, the Tennessean had an article about one of these businesses, this uh, cash advance business. This particular one was based out of Franklin. I don't know all the details of it, but in this article, talked about this particular business that took advantage of the poor by giving them advances before their paycheck or the poor, those in debt, and then charging fees. And it becomes something that keeps perpetuating itself until people can't get out of it. And and you wonder, well, how how can someone sleep at night and do that? How how can you charge someone interest plus 30%? There's just scenarios in life and that and sometimes you can be blind to those. So I cast no harsh judgment. Maybe I don't want to be blind to something I'm doing of that nature. But the truth is this, is that you can succeed. You can reach your quota. You can be successful in your own eyes, but have your heart shrink and have your character shrink. So here's what Jesus wants you to do. He's going to give you a paradox, something that's different than the world. And he says this, Lose power and save soul. Lose power and gain soul. See, what we do in the world's culture is we get more power, more authority, 
more advantages over people. We do everything we can to stay in control of the situation. But sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes what we do to keep our advantage actually causes us to lose our very soul. It causes us to lose the essence of who God's called us to be. So there's a very, very pointed question that now I believe it's verse 30, 36. starts this way. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? The question is, your soul, the essence of who you are, your character, your name, who you really are, and the part of you that relates to God. What's the price for that? There is no price. There is no cost. There is no cost. And the question is, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to make the NBA but to lose his soul? What does it profit a, a woman to become an actress on Broadway but to lose her soul? What does it cause a man to become the CEO and to make more money than he ever dreamed of, but in the process to lose the essence of who he is and the part of him that relates to God shrinks, 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 becomes smaller. What does it profit a young lady to marry her dream husband but to lose her soul because of it? It doesn't do any good. It doesn't help in the least. What does it profit a man or woman to gain the world but to lose his soul? Now, I wanna talk about the word the word world there. I underlined that word on purpose because we're going to look at some other scriptures that have this word world. Now, somewhere along my faith journey, I blame this on no one. There, there could be all types of reasons why this happened. When I begin to hear about worldliness in the world, I wrongly equated it to everything of the earth. And there was this idea of if you loved anything on the earth, you weren't loving God enough. That's not what the word world is talking about there. The earth without sin is good. The earth and humanity in the image of God can be good, but with sin, it's become corrupted and unjust. So it is, it's okay to celebrate and it's okay to enjoy wholesome customs and it's okay to enjoy nature and to care about the environment, not to have this attitude of if I love the mountains or sunset too much, somehow it's taking me away from God. I just don't believe that biblically. You know, we don't know all the details of heaven, but we know that most of our concepts of heaven don't come from the scripture. It comes from, from really myths that have been passed down. But the heaven I read about, there, there are meals, there is feasting, there is streams, there are mountains, there is wine, there is laughter. That's the heaven that I read about in the Bible. The heaven I read about is a lot like earth, a lot like earth. It's just without sin, without corruption. In fact, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and new earth is going to come down to where we are now. And so it is that matter is not bad. That, that is an old myth that anything physical is bad. Anything from the earth is bad. That's not true. Many of those things have been corrupted by sin, but God's redeeming the world 
As we sing, he's making all things new. So what's it talking about when it talks about gaining the whole world? Well, I want to give you a Greek word. I don't bore you with Greek words, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have a lot of tools, and I do look up the Greek usually before I preach. And let's talk about this world, this word. World is a Greek word, cosmos. Now, I abbreviated this meaning, and I'm going to do my best to put this on my blog in the next couple of days because it's not in your notes. But this is a really good definition of the world or cosmos. It's standards and practices created by a culture that does not consider God's demands or requirements. Standards and practices without God, basically. It's the system of the world. We know from other passages that Satan and his principalities are ruling the systems of men. And so there are men and women who are operating in Satan's mindsets and operating under his authority. And those systems pervade everything we're a part of. Our education, our entertainment, our cultural myths, the cosmos, the world, not the earth, not just physical matter, but it's a mindset, it's a concept. And it's coming to deceive us in all types of ways. In fact, sometimes we are even purchasing these thoughts through, through different media that we use or education or whatever the case is. And, and I, I'm just here to encourage you today to put a filter over your mind, put a filter over your ears, put a filter over the data you receive called God's word, God's standard, and let that be let that be the source of truth and the source of strength for your life. Now, 1 John chapter 3 talks about this word cosmos again quite a bit. 1 John 3.15 says, do not love the cosmos. Don't love that system. It doesn't mean you can't love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving, right? My favorite day of the year. Football and food, amen. Doesn't mean you can't love your nation as long as it's not an idol to you. Doesn't mean you can't love going to the mountains or to the beach. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. But don't love the system that opposes God. Don't love the system that's setting, himself, setting itself up against the standard of God. So don't love the cosmos, or the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. For all that is in the cosmos, all that's in the world, Here's a, here's a good sermon. If, you, if anyone needs a sermon or devotional, here you go. Here's your three points. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions. Those concepts there is not from the Father, but is from the world. I didn't underline that word, but the same word, the cosmos. And the cosmos, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, Paul had this concept down also. In Galatians chapter 6, he talks, uh, verse 14 says, As for me, uh, but, for, excuse me, but far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world, same word there, cosmos, by which that which opposes God has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, here's a paraphrase of that. That's a beautiful language there. A paraphrase says this, because of Christ, I am dead to the way in which people of the world live. 
Listen, saints, God's here to remind you of something. You are different. You are unique. You are different. We don't think like people who are under the devil's influence think. We don't come to the same conclusions. We don't reason the way they do. That's not to be elitist. That's not to say we're better than them without the grace of God. But it is to understand our primary call is not to be relevant, but to be holy and to be sanctified. Relevancy has its place, but it is not the end all. The end all is to please the Lord. My prayer for you, my prayer for my life, my prayer for this church, my prayer for our family is that we would please the Lord. That's what he wants us to do, to please him. And you cannot love the world, love the cosmos, and have the love of the Father in you. So I I wanna encourage you to shake that off. Just like Paul said, back to verse 14 in Galatians 6, I am crucified. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I, I have put to death that system in my life. I have put to death that mindset in my life. I no longer think the way everybody does. That's the will of God for you. And that's a good, good thing because we're all growing and we're all learning and we're all getting over things. We're all crucifying things. Now, I want to share something with you. I, I've overcome a lot of things in life, a lot of strange things, because I'm a quirky guy. I'm a quirky guy, and no one knows this more than my wife. And as I'm getting to know you better, and you're getting to know me, I'm going to share some of my quirky things. We're, we're, we, I've been at this church five years now, so we're, we're, more and more quirky things will come out. And one of them is this. This is something I dealt with in my 20s, back when... Uh, before the internet revolution really came 15 years ago, I was the youngest man in America who read the newspaper every day. And uh, every day I'd go out to get the newspaper. And I would not go get the newspaper, regardless of what our plans were for the day, whether it was a holiday or a Saturday or whatever day it was, I was afraid to go get the newspaper unless I had showered and been prepared for the day. Because I did not want anyone in the world to think that I could possibly have bedhead. There was no way in the world I wanted anyone to think, first of all, that I slept and never slept past 4 a.m. Because every, at 4 a.m. I was up praying for God's saints around the world. And I would not walk out that door unless I was perfectly groomed, ready to pick up the paper in case some strange person early in the morning that I didn't know would see me pick up that paper that morning. Occasionally, I'd put a cap on, but that was really stretching it. So now that's changed over the years and God has humbled me and several families in our church actually live in my neighborhood and a couple of them were at the 9 a.m. service and they know, they've seen me now because the trash gets picked up at 6 a.m. on Mondays and Thursdays. The bus comes at 6.45 a.m. So they send me out there in my humanity and my messed up hair, and all that. So that's just a silly, silly phobia. Now, you probably have something like that. Is, is it not amazing how we are impacted by what other people think? Not even the people we're in relationship with, but people we don't even know. We, we, we care so much about perception. How will that person perceive me? What will that person think of me? What will that person's opinion be of me? And it drives our behavior over and over and over again. Yet, yet, we often could care less about God's opinion. 
We could care less about God's judgment. Here's the last thing I want to suggest to you. Give up the approval of man and gain, receive God's approval. Get God's approval. Quit being driven by the opinion of man. Jesus says this very clear in this scripture. In verse verse 37, I believe, 38, excuse me. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words. You know, the only reason to be ashamed of Jesus is because you care about the opinions of man. You care about the opinions of another woman. That's the only reason to be ashamed of Jesus. Whoever's ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Think about it, guys. If we can't stand up for God on this earth when the world is so dark and people don't even care about God and they're adulterous, and if we can't stand up for him here, how can we stand up for him in other settings? Listen, he deserves it. He's worthy of it. And God's calling us. God is calling us to be public about our faith. Scripture goes on in other places to talk about doing that with gentleness and doing that with respect. I'm not calling you to be obnoxious or I'm not calling you to be rude. I'm calling you to please the Lord. Please the Lord. Please the Lord, make him know now a scripture that has impacted my life and it comes up frequently in sermons I preach. Galatians chapter one, verse 10. Paul's writing this and he says, "For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's it, guys. Hey, the question's before you today. Are you trying to please man or God? Are you trying to please man or God? Yeah. That's a question before you. Now, Jesus, listen, he, he wants you to hear this message. He called the crowd to him. He called the crowd to him to say, hey, I want you to understand this message. If you want your life, you, you want to gain your life, you've got to lose your life. If you, if you want your soul, you've got to let your power go. If you want my acceptance, you've got to quit thinking about acceptance of man. That is, that is the response we have to the gospel. When we understand who he is, we understand his grace, we understand his purpose, we understand who the Messiah is and who Jesus is in our life, we then respond by laying down our life, laying down our power, Laying down the thirst for man to approve us. And we look to God and God gives us his life. And God gives us the essence of who he's created to be our soul. And God gives us our acceptance. That's what God wants for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for my friends today. Lord, on this Sunday... You particularly wanted us to hear this scripture for a reason. Stir up your word within them. Stir up your call within them. God, I know a lot of us in here have given our lives to Christ at various eras of our life. Maybe some of us have been walking with the Lord a long time, but we needed to hear this message this day for a particular reason. I'm, gonna call, I'm just gonna call you to surrender to the Lord today to give your life to him. You might say, Aaron, I've done that before, but maybe you haven't done it today. Today's the day to do that. 
If you're a Christian, I'm not here to call, to cause you to question your salvation. But I am calling you to search your heart. Because every day, every day we have to pick up our cross daily and follow him. Every day we have to decide to turn to turn away from our selfish desires and to follow his way, to lose our life, and then we'll gain his life. We, we, the gospel paradox is that we, once we give up what's most precious to us, we gain what is far more precious than we could possibly imagine. And that's him and his plan for our life. Some of us have been taking advantage of others. Maybe, maybe others don't even know that whether it's relationally, whether it's in business, whether for our students here, it's something you're doing at the school, you're not acting justly, you're not acting righteously, you're not acting with integrity and God wants that to change no matter the cost, no matter the cost, change because it doesn't profit you to gain that advantage, but to shrink your soul, to lose your soul. Some of you, some of you are just so so, so victim to the opinion of someone else. You want approval from somebody else. You want approval from that boss so bad that you'll compromise family values. You want approval from, from that other person in your relationship with so much that you're letting them change who God wants you to be. You want approval from, from a church body that you're not even being yourself. You're being inauthentic. And God is calling you to look to him. Are you a servant of God? Are you trying to get man's approval or God's approval? One look of God's approval is all you need. When you have the approval of God on your life, it will do more for you than any any person that's ever lived. The approval of every person on this planet can't even compare to one look of approval from God. He wants you. He wants your heart completely. Our God is a jealous God in a good way. He's all-consuming fire. He wants every part of you, and he keeps asking, and he keeps asking, and you think, well, I keep giving everything to God. God, why do you want more? He wants more because he can take you and use you for his purposes and for his glory so that his name would be great. And when you give everything to God, it's not a bad thing. It's better than you can possibly imagine. So it is, you're joining that crowd, that crowd in Capernaum. And Jesus says, listen, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life, whoever wants to save his life must lose it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? And if anyone's ashamed of the son of man in this adulterous and wicked generation, then I'll be ashamed of him in heaven. Guys, The call is clear. He's called us clearly. I want you to think about that. I want you to meditate on that for a second. Beth's gonna minister in music and then I'm gonna come back just momentarily and give you some further instruction. This world has nothing for me. This world has nothing for me. I will follow you. This world has nothing for me. This world has nothing for me. I will follow you. Oh, to 
experience that's going to touch every person. It's just, it's just impossible. But we can give you somebody and that's Jesus Christ. And he, he has given you his word. The word is very clear to us today. It's a call. It's a reminder. It's a compass. It's a direction. It's a pathway. And the Lord's ways are good for you. The Lord's ways are desirable and the Lord's ways will never disappoint. They're always good for you. So the last few minutes we have left together, we're gonna have an opportunity to seek the Lord. There's several different ways that we can do that. We're gonna have prayer partners on the back wall, that back wall right there. And if you need prayer for anything, I mean anything, you're sick in your body, we know this is that many of you have come with burdens and we want you to know that you're not alone in that burden. We're gonna pray for you, a financial burden, whatever the case is, a response to this message, whatever it is. Also, we have available both to your left and at the back, the communion elements. I won't give further instruction on that.